0: You guys are sitting in our backyard. How's that feel today? Good? It's great to come back after the summer, and, and some of you are coming out of hibernation, right? We In the summers, we kind of get away from everything, and it's great to see everybody coming back. And as Joe said, too, it's, it's back to school time, and, and somehow that gets us back into a, a new rhythm, into a new, a new pattern. And, and even as a church, we're just excited about this fall and all the great things that we have We have coming up. So we're so glad that you're here. If you are new or newer or visiting or or just kind of trying to figure out what is this community all about, this is an amazing series for you to be a part of. And uh, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a part of this neighborhood. What does it mean to be a part of this community called the church? And how is that transforming for each of us? And and what does God want to do through us? So any of you, uh, how many of you have moved um, within the last year or so? Just kind of curious, moved within the last year? How many of you have ever moved? If you've ever moved before, you've moved to a new neighborhood, okay, all hands should be up, otherwise, I don't, I don't know, you're still in the, the home of your birth. I guess some kids in here, might that might be the case. But, you know, moving is just no fun, is it? I mean, when, you're, when you think about moving and, and what it takes to go through that process of moving into a new neighborhood, I mean, the hard part first is, is, is getting rid of and getting out of the house that you're in, Right. And all of a sudden, you know, when I think of moving, I think of one thing, I think of boxes, right? I mean, just boxes everywhere. You know, we moved about six, seven months ago, and, and we were still moving boxes that we hadn't even unpacked from the last time we moved. And from the time before that, and from the time before that. Literally, I, there were some boxes that were three moves ago that were still in the garage. I think it's time to just throw those out. But, you know, you're boxing everything up. If it's on the shelf, if it's moving, you're boxing it up. I mean, you may be missing your cat because you boxed it up. I mean, everything is in boxes. Your kids aren't safe, right? You're, you're, you're just, you're in that mode and, and trying to wrap it up and, you know, end those relationships and say goodbye is difficult. But what, but what you hold out for... And I think what all of us hold out for is when we move into a neighborhood, and hopefully if we have, you know, the opportunity to do that, we think about the promise of what could be in that neighborhood. What might life be like in that new community? And we, we have these, these great visions of what could be, and, and some of the neighborhoods out here, you know, these master-planned communities, they, they try to help us understand what that could be like. I was looking up at some of the, looking some of these up, and, and one of them was from um, one of the neighborhoods in the, in the East Valley, and it says, what is the mark of a life well-lived? Weekends you wish didn't have to end. Neighbors you're glad to count as friends. The promise of a happier childhood and a healthier you. Perhaps it's discovering new ways to live the life you've always wanted to. right? And they paint these pictures and these images of the the kind of neighborhood where Mr. Rogers himself (laughs) welcomes you in and he puts on his sweater and he takes off his shoes and puts on his slippers. And what does he say to you? Would you be... My neighbor, right? And, and we just think, this is going to be great. And, and we imagine what could be there and the kind of community we could experience. Neighbors coming over, bringing a warm loaf of bread to welcome us to the neighborhood. Kids playing together and, and maybe sipping coffee on the front porch or hanging out in the backyard, developing friendships, community block parties. Oh, what life could be like in the new neighborhood to live in that community. Maybe we have idyllic images of of, of days of old, right? Where nobody locked their door, where you just would go over and you'd borrow milk and and, you know, from each other and just help each other out. Maybe men are working on the car together or whatever. You, You have these images and we hold out this hope for community. What's it like to live and experience like just being a part of a neighborhood with neighbors and living in community? But then we have this reality check, right? What's the reality? I've lived now here in, in Arizona and in Scottsdale and Phoenix area long enough to know that it looks quite different for most people as I've discovered. How many of you even know the names of your neighbors in the, in the five or six closest houses Do you? you? know the names, you know the kids. Yes, go ahead. If some of you, you know that, and takes some time. But, but, but what happens here is, is we move into these neighborhoods, we hope to experience community and especially here in the summer, what happens? All we know and recognize from our neighbors is the taillights of their car as it's pulling into a garage and the door goes down. And you never see them. You don't see them, you don't know them, and, and you don't know what's happening. And then you and of course you hang out in the backyard and we are all in these cell blocks, right? These walled off uh, backyards where you don't have to interact in community. You don't have to have people around you. And so we wonder what's it What's it like? Where do I find this community? What does that look like? What does it really mean to have neighbors, to be known, to be engaged? And we don't experience that in everyday life all around us. We live in neighborhoods, but we don't experience community or the closer friendships right near us. We settle for living in neighborhoods without even knowing our neighborhoods, our neighbors themselves. We settle for isolation instead of community, and I think we're hungry for connection. We're hungry to know and to meet people, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, this series isn't about how to be a better neighbor and how to live better in your community, although I think some of these things are going to apply. But what I want to talk about is a new community. And it's not really a new community. It's a community that's been created over hundreds and thousands of years. It's the community called the church. And it was this, this, this wonderful, I want to say it's an experiment, but it was a very intentional design by God for us to experience life the way it was intended to be lived. And I want to introduce you to that neighborhood. I want to introduce you to that community. And more than just talking about the beautiful views and, and what life could be like, I want you to get to know the community that is the church, not just here um, it, at McDowell but oh, we're part of something even bigger than what's happening here. But right here, this family, this church, this community, this neighborhood is something special. And, and I want every single one of us to experience what this is like. And if I was a realtor, if I was somebody who is a sales agent at a new community, which I think as a pastor, I kind of am here. I mean, this is, this is one of our jobs is to, to help you understand what does community look like? What does it mean to live here? And I think about this place, and I want to just tell you, this is a Christ-centered community. A place where Jesus is preached, where Jesus is known, where people understand that he is the lifeblood of who we are. And that when you are part of this community, when we gather together, there is so much more here than what just happens on a Sunday morning, just coming to a worship gathering. There is life here. We talk about gathering together, gathering the people, being in relationship knowing each other, building friendships, that, that if you put roots down into this community, you're going to have lifelong friendships. You're going to have people that, that, that come along beside you when you're going through some of the most difficult times of your life, when you're mourning loss and mourning challenges. When you're facing challenges, they want to come alongside and say, hey, how can I help you? Well, let, let's talk about that. Let's pray about that. When you have even the smallest wins, a community that wants to celebrate those wins with you and life. But more than just hanging out and being friends in that way, we are rooted in the word of God. And that's why we talk about turn. This is a community where we turn our hearts and minds towards Christ. We want to know what God has for us because that is where life transformation happens. When we come together and we say, what does God's word say? And how can we live as the body of Christ, the followers of Jesus in this place? And we, and we turn our hearts and minds and we study God's word and, and we read books or do Bible studies. We gather together and say, what does it mean to live this life together? But not just for ourselves, not just huddling together. We're a place that we then go and say, from here, we're going to love with no strings attached. We're going to go and make a difference here in Scottsdale and the areas around us. And we're going to make a difference even into places like the Dominican Republic, into a remote village where we can bring the love and the hope of Christ. We're going to multiply our impact beyond these walls. That if you are part of this community, you're going to make a difference not only here, but we're going to start New churches, new neighborhoods. We're going to move out and we're going to multiply who we are and watch the impact and the difference that that Jesus can make in the hearts and lives of people. That's what this community is about. And so over the next several weeks, I want to begin to unpack some of that and understand what is our part in this neighborhood? How do we experience life as this community? And so let me just say, welcome to the neighborhood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these uh, next several weeks, we get to really dive into your word. And and you've called us together as a people in this place. And God, you have something for us. You've called us for a purpose. You've called us to live in community with one another and to be on mission for you. So God, would you just open our hearts and open our minds to what you have to say to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. We're going to look at a couple of passages in Scripture. And what I want to talk about when we, as we begin this series, Welcome to the Neighborhood, creating a new kind of community, what sets this community, the church, apart from any other gathering, from any other kind of community of people that there is? What is the bedrock? What is the foundation? I want to look at a passage where Jesus really spells that out for us very clearly. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16. And uh, in this passage, uh, Jesus is gathering with his disciples, and he just asks them a question. He says, you know, who do people say that I am? And and so they start saying, well, some say you're you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And they start coming up with with just different ideas of of who people say that, that Jesus is. And then here in verse 13, we'll have it up on the screen for you. Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Jesus has been with them. He's been teaching. He's been leading. He's been spending time with them. And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, this is a pretty dramatic moment here. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, we may not understand what... Messiah means, or maybe that's not a word that we think about in everyday usage, but here what Peter is saying is this hope that we have had as a people, this hope for salvation, somebody who's going to come and rescue us and lead us into a new life and bring us that, that, that hope that we have, that is you. You are the Messiah, and not only that, you are the Son of the living God. You are God himself, and you you've come. That's you. That's who you are, Jesus. And then Jesus responds, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. In this passage here is, is we see for the first time Jesus is, is mentioning the church. And what's he saying about the church? He's saying, "Upon this rock I will build my church." What is the rock that he's referring to? Now, some might say he's referring to Peter. Now, the word Peter, when Jesus renamed Simon, and he called him Peter. Peter means the rock, Petros, the rock. And so some say, well, he's building the church on Peter. And he's telling Peter, you're, the church is going to be built on you. You're the, you're the beginning of this church. And, and that may be partially true. But what's interesting then, he says, you are Peter, Petros. And upon this rock, when he uses rock there, it's Petra, Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. What rock is he talking about? Is he talking about Peter or something else? What's the rock on which he's going to build the church? It's Peter's declaration. It's Peter's declaration that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He says this piece right here, this is the cornerstone. This is the foundation. This is the rock that the church will be built on. Nothing more, nothing less. It's acknowledging and understanding that Jesus Christ Is the Messiah, the Son of God. And and then what he says is upon this rock, and Peter, he's going to build it on Peter as well as one of the disciples who's going to be key, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But he says, this is the foundation. When we talk about being a Christ centered church, this is where it begins. This is what sets this gathering apart from any other gathering that there is. It's what makes this place accessible to any and all people, to anyone who is willing to acknowledge this cornerstone. All the other theologies and all the other teachings bow down to this central piece, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. He is the Son of the living God. And it's the acknowledgement of this, the profession of this, when Peter professed these words that Jesus said, you got it. You got it. Here it is. This is key. This is belief. This is your eyes being opened. And you know what he says? It wasn't you who understood this on your own. It was our Father in Heaven who revealed this to you. It's the spiritual awareness that we realize God has something for us. He wants to be our Messiah. He wants to be our Savior. So we say we are a Christ-centered church. If we miss this piece, what drives this community, we're missing everything. Jesus is the subject. Jesus is the, the focus I was, uh, you know, leading in a church. I'd preached and, um, at, at my old church, and um, I was done after the Sunday morning message, and, and, and a lady came up to me. She was a visitor, and she, she came up and was with her daughter, and she said, I just want to tell you how much I enjoyed being here today. She said, the worship and the music and, and your message, I just, I just enjoyed uh, everything. She said, but I have one thing. One thing I need to uh, just want to ask you. She said, why do you talk about Jesus so much? Do you have to talk about Jesus so much? I kid you not. I was kind of like, wow, that, that was a new question I've not heard before as a pastor. Why do you talk about Jesus so much? And I was like, yes, I have to. We have to. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the center. If Jesus is not at the heart of who we are, we don't have anything. Jesus said, be connected to the vine. I'm the vine, and you are the branches apart from me. You can't do anything. If we are not connected to Jesus, there is nothing that's happening here except some gathering and somebody here trying to give some good advice on how to live life. You might as well watch Oprah or Phil or whatever the new shows are that do that. There's some good advice out there, but what the difference is here is that Jesus is at the center. And it's a body of people who understand that Jesus has made a difference in their life. We are a spiritual community. Now, what I find interesting is the, uh, in this passage when Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. You know what word he uses there for church? It's a word called ekklesia. It's a Greek word, and, uh, and it's really not a special word. And, and really, many would say that the translation of the word church of that word is not really a very accurate translation. That A, real, a much more accurate um, translation of that word is the assembly, the gathering. Upon this rock, I will build my assembly, my gathering. It was a word that was used in in Greek society for the gathering of like the city leaders, the assembly, the ecclesia would gather together. It was basically those that were citizens or those that had a vote or those that were the representatives. It was their gathering and that's it. And here, Jesus uses this term in relation to this body of people that are gonna be forming together around this foundational piece that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God. It was about a people. Now see, in our context, and what so many of us say, how many of you uh, would say to somebody or have said to somebody, I'm going to church today? How many would have used that phrase? It's okay. It's, I know you're like, I don't want to get in trouble for raising my hand. I think he's setting us up for failure here. Um, going to church. I use that term, going to church. But what we, what we start thinking about and, and subconsciously start thinking about is we're going to church. We're going to 124th and Shea. We're going to McDowell Mountain. And if you look up the word church in, in, in the dictionary, it's a place of worship. And it often refers to that building, that church. You know, as a kid, did you ever, did you ever do this? You know, Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and there's all the people. Right? Here's the church, it's the church, it's got a steeple. But you know, when we were kids, we, we actually sang a different song in Sunday school. We learned that, but, but it, it puts the emphasis on the gathered people in the church and in, under the steeple. But there was another, one, another song, and it said, um, the church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is the people. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. I'd sing it for you, but I won't. Um, kids sing much cooler songs now in, in, uh, in, in, in kids' worship. But, but it, it reminded us that it's not about this building, it's not about going to church. You know what the problem with going to church is? if we understand ourselves as going to church, if you go to church, you know what you can also do? You leave church, right? So church day is put here. And uh, when, when everyone locks up the church, you know, by 12, 30, 1 o'clock, when everybody's out of here, where's the church? Oh, it's still here on 124th and Shea. What's the church doing? Nothing. Some air conditions running, some, some you know, utilities are on. It's, there's nothing. If this is the church, we're missing it. This is not what Jesus had in mind that that he's referring to the church being a place and a building. Now, we call that word church, and great things happen here, and it's important. But the focus is really on being the church, being the church. The people are the church. You know what? You are the church, or are you? That's the question. Are you the church if you attend here on a regular basis? It's my church, you might say. This is where I go to church. And maybe you sit here week in, week out, or maybe you come once or twice a year, I don't know, whatever your, your, your rhythm is, and maybe you think, I'm going to church, and, and that's my church. Are you the church? How do you become part of this church? Is it just by attending? And all of a sudden, by attending, now you're part of the church. No, you, what you are a part of, you're part of a public gathering of worship. And it's a great place to be, and don't get me wrong, this is important. What happens here is important. It's the lifeline, it's the heartbeat of who we are as a church. It centers us on Christ each and every week. The songs we sing to Him, the prayers we pray to Him, the Word of God that comes from Him, it builds us, it moves us. But you know what? Being here does not make you part of the church any more than being in an oven makes you a biscuit. Okay? It makes you a participant in a gathering of worship and a powerful experience that you may have, but it does not make you the church. So how do you move into this neighborhood? How do you not just check out this neighborhood? Because coming here on a Sunday many times is like, it can be like checking out a neighborhood. Like before my wife and I, before we moved into our neighborhood, we checked out different neighborhoods and then we honed in on the one that we wanted to, to move in and, and buy our house there. And, but we wanted to know what is this neighborhood we're getting into. And so, um, I wanted to get here because it's near the schools here, the, the middle school and the high school. I was like, what's this, what's this like when the buses roll out and cars come in? So I would drive there at like you know 7, 7.30 in the morning and I'd do like a little stakeout and just kind of watch and see what happens and hope nobody would call the cops on me. There's some creepy guy in a car. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on here in this neighborhood. I want to observe the neighborhood. I wasn't part of the neighborhood yet, but I wanted to see what it was like. And then I'd come after school and try to see what's it like in the, in the afternoon. We'd drive by as a family in the evening what's going on here in the neighborhood. A couple times we got to meet some of the neighbors that were out and we got to talk to them and and all of a sudden started getting a feel for like this neighborhood. And that's kind of like what it is if you just come to church. You can get a feel for this neighborhood and you get to learn some of the important things that are happening here. But at some point you're going to have to move into the neighborhood to really be a part of that neighborhood to put your stake down, to buy that property, to move. You have the moving van come and saying, we are here. This is our community. I want to be a part of it. How do we do that at the church? Do you just have to go to pizza with the pastors? Pizza with the staff? I eat pizza with the staff. Must be my church. (laughs) Do I go to backstage when we have our orientation? Does that make you part of the church? I know what makes you part of the church. If you serve somewhere, then you're part of the church, right? No, no, oh, wait, you know what it is? It's these little envelopes with the tithing, with the giving. When you start giving financially, you're part of the church. No, it's none of those things. What makes you part of the church? Well, I want to look at a, another passage here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. I'll get here in just a moment. Peter heard Jesus say this to him. He said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And I find it so interesting that Peter, that, that Jesus used this This parallel passage of this declaration that Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and Peter's name. And so Peter would never forget it. Maybe Peter wasn't that bright. But now he knew, all right, I just got to think of my name. When I think about what's important, my name, the rock, Jesus, this foundation. So Jesus goes through his ministry, and he's teaching and healing and leading people to freedom and a new life. and, And all their hope is in him as the Messiah. And then they crucify him. They nail him to a cross, and he dies. And Peter and everyone else thinks it's over, it's finished. Was he really the Messiah? I mean, he's dead. How can he be our savior? How can he be the one that that leads us to new life? And then fast forward right to Easter. He's in the tomb for a few days, but he rises again. He comes to life. It says he conquered death. Remember that passage? Even the gates of hell cannot conquer The church, right, can prevail against it. Jesus went and he conquered death and he comes back to life and he commissions his disciples, says, Go into all the world and make more disciples. But he says, But wait, but wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you power to tell people about me everywhere, here, there, to the next region, to the farthest reaches of the world. That's when the church is going to form. And so they waited. And as they were waiting and as they were praying, the day came and the Holy Spirit came and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in different languages to the people that were gathered in Jerusalem for a festival that was taking place. And so hundreds and thousands of people were there and with this power of the Holy Spirit, they began to speak. And you know, Peter begins to preach his first message in Acts chapter two in this moment. He's got hundreds of thousands of people that are there listening to what he has to say and he begins to teach them about Jesus Christ. And he begins to tell them, and he talks about the one that you crucified. He is the Savior. He's the Son of God. And he goes through and he, and he begins to explain for them who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. And then we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36. When he begins to wrap up his message, he begins to say this. He says, So let it be clearly known by everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. He's remembering back. What's the rock? What's the foundation? As this church gathers now, as we're going to have the gathering of the people who have been called out from the world in a way that they're going to put their faith on this bedrock, what is that? It's that Jesus is the Messiah, and he, be, he tells them, this is Jesus. Let it be clearly known. And then for the next verse, verse 37, Peter's words convicted them deeply. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, What should we do? What should we do? Remember I was asking, how do you become part of this church? How do you become part of this gathering of people? Not the building, not just sitting inside of here, not just the physical structure, but the spiritual reality and the physical reality of the relationships. How do I become a part of this church? That's what they're asking. What should we do now? We hear this message. We hear this this call that Jesus is the Messiah. How do we move in and lay down roots? Verse 38, Peter answers. Peter replied, Each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is foundational. This is the core of what it means to be a part of the church, to be a part of this neighborhood. To move in happens by putting down your roots and driving a stake into the ground and saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And because he conquered death and because he took the punishment for my sins, I don't have to keep beating myself up. I can have victory over addictions and relationship issues and problems and challenges. God can give me freedom and victory over that guilt that I feel and that shame that I feel. I have freedom and I have freedom, and, and, and the power of the church coming together is that every single person who is part of the spiritual church, not just attending a worship service, but somebody who has declared that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, is that we have all admitted that without Him we can do nothing. But it's only through Him that we can have life, and that we can have hope, and that we have the opportunity to walk this life together. And that's what unites us. That's what brings us together. That's how you become part of the church. If you believe, and then what else did he say? And are baptized. Baptism. What's this weird thing that the church does with baptism? I mean, isn't this like, you know, the year 2015? I mean, do we still have to do that? Do we still have to, like, dunk people underwater? Can't I just sign somewhere? Can I just, like, say, like, yeah, I believe and here's, here's my confession? What, what is this baptism thing all about? Why does Peter talk about this? Why was Jesus baptized? Why does everywhere else in the book of Acts, when people came to faith, they were baptized? Why is this important? Because here, the thing is with salvation, turning your heart to God, giving your life to Christ, saying, God, I surrender everything to you, that happens internally. That happens with you and your heart, and that's a very personal thing that happens. Salvation alone in some ways doesn't make you part of the church. It does in some and doesn't in others because, it's, because nobody knows. That's, you, that's between you and God. Baptism is a way that you make that public, and it's your way of saying to be part of the church. Look at the next verse, or, in, or not the next one, but Acts 2.41. Those who believed what Peter said, what does it say? It says they were baptized, and then look at that phrase, and then what? And what? Added to the church. How are they added to the church? By baptism. About 3,000 in all declared their faith and were baptized. At the end of this month, we have a baptism, and we do baptisms regularly throughout the year. Some of you may wonder, why do I need to be baptized? There's a powerful rite of passage that we participate in that has been participated in throughout the generations since Jesus of being baptized. It's the symbol that says, look, Here I am as a person, but I am dead to sin in my own life. I need to die and be buried with Christ. I go under that water. And and when I'm under that water, it's a symbol of death, of being in the grave, of being dead. But when I come up, I am being washed. My sins, my sins are being washed away, and I'm being raised up to new life. And to know that every single person throughout history that has been baptized, believed and has been baptized has gone through that process of this foundational step of saying, I'm dying to myself and I'm beginning a brand new life with Jesus Christ. A fresh beginning, a new start. Jesus is my savior. That's what enters you into the church. That's how the church, the spiritual church grows. Now I'm aware that on any given week here, we're all over the place with where we are spiritually. I mean, some of you are here reluctantly this morning. Somebody drug you to church. Maybe some of you, you know, thought this was a library or something and you pulled in this morning and realized there's a church service going on. I don't know why you're here. Some of you are searching and seeking and wondering, I don't know about this yet, but I just wanna listen and I wanna observe and I wanna learn and I'm so glad that you are here. You're in the right place to discover and to hear the truth of God's word. Others of you have been here for such a long time. Maybe you've come for years and years and you listen in and maybe you're just fine. you have your seat that you sit, but you've never really moved beyond that. You take it in, but, but somehow you hit that wall. You never have taken that step of faith. Or maybe you took that step of faith and say, God and I are good and I'll just attend church. I'll go to church and, and that'll be my, my peace. Maybe it's time for you. It is time for you if you've given your life to Christ to say, I want to be baptized. I'm going to go public with my faith. I'm going to get up in front of the church and in my friends and community, I'm going to declare to everyone my new life in Christ and that I am a part of what God is doing spiritually in this place, in this church throughout the ages. You have that opportunity. And maybe today you make that commitment. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that says, this day, today, is my day of salvation. It's the day that I declare and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I need a fresh beginning a new start, a forgiveness for my sins, and I am all in. Jesus, I am yours. This is your day. Some of you, it's a step of baptism. You've made that internal, personal commitment. You've attended here. You belong. You've, you feel like you're part of things, and you are in a relational way, but spiritually, you have never taken that step of baptism to go all in and declare, I am all in for Jesus. That's your step. God is asking you to respond. We want to be a community where we lay down our roots, where we're not just passive observers and frequent visitors and and that church only happens here on Sundays for an hour or so, but the church is happening each and every day. When we leave here today... And I think about tomorrow and I think about back to school and I think about our church and sometimes as a staff when we pray, just try to imagine here you are in your workplaces, you're in the schools, you're interacting with others, you're in your homes. That's when you are the church because the church is the people of God surrendered to Him that are making a difference wherever they go and being transformed. We're creating an amazing neighborhood here, a new community where we are the ones, we are the gathered assembly of those that have committed our lives to Christ We're committing to grow together. We're committing to to be in relationship together, not just to be strangers. I mean, why do we do dinner with friends? I mean, you guys are capable of inviting somebody else for dinner, but we know sometimes it's hard, and you don't know who the other people are. And, And what happens when you sit for an hour or so across the table with some people and you engage in conversation? You begin to open your life, and you begin to share and connect. What happens when you go to one of those next steps classes that are going to begin? And you start, you break open the word or you go to the women's Bible study or the men's Bible study and you start studying scripture and, and then you start sharing some of the stories of your life. You begin to learn how to grow together as a community. What happens when we serve together? When you're, when you're you know, the, the, the student life is beginning the race tonight and some of the volunteers, the adults that are there serving or, or whether you're holding kids in the, uh, you know, in the nursery or, 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 or teaching a class, what happens when you serve together? The missions team that just came back from the DR, they have bonded in a relationship because they were serving side by side, loving others, no strings attached. This is where community happens. This is what this neighborhood is about. Today, I just want to invite you to take a step over these next several weeks. Take one step, at least, to say, I want to go further into community here. And today, I just want to begin with this foundational piece That the way that we enter the spiritual reality of the church is by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ and watching his life just flood us with his life. We're going to end today with communion. I think communion is such a beautiful image of what the church is all about. Jesus took bread when he was with his disciples, a common bread around the table, and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup that was on the table and there was a cup of wine and he he said, this cup represents a new covenant. This represents my blood that will be spilled out for the forgiveness of your sins. Every time you do this, remember me. And when we gather as a church, we say at the center is Jesus Christ. Communion represents the presence of Christ, what he did for us. And we are the body of the people that say, I've been forgiven by what Jesus did on that cross. He paid the price for my sins and I want to remember that and I want to thank him and to know that this wasn't just some historic reality but it's a living, breathing reality that God is alive and working through us to be his church, to be his community. Maybe today is the first time that you take communion as a follower of Jesus Christ where you have acknowledged and saying, yes God, I believe you are Messiah, the Son of God, my Savior, my Lord. And I want to thank you for what you've done for me on that cross the broken body, the blood that was spilled out. And I'm a part of this amazing reality called the church. Let's stand together. Let's pray. We're going to have some places for you to take, to come, to take, the, to take the wine or the juice, to take the bread. We have some places back here. And um, I just want us to take it. And I don't want you to take it individually because we're talking about being a community take it, bring it back to your seat, hold on to it, pray, and then together I will lead us in taking the body of Christ together. If you don't feel comfortable taking communion, no pressure, no obligation for whatever reasons, uh, we have other places you can light a candle representing the life and light of Christ in your life. Or maybe you need to write um, something down that you just want to confess on the cross or something that you need prayer for. This is your time to respond, but let's do this together as a